for a smartphone, some device, you'll be looking at the scripture with us. We'll be in Luke chapter 5 this morning. Um, as kids are headed where they're going and, and folks are settling back in, um, we, as much as we love Sunday morning, and, and it is a, a good and glorious time of the week when we get together together, live out some of the one another's together, um, we, we like to remind ourselves, though, that, that God doesn't only speak on Sunday morning, right? That He speaks um, in your quiet devotions throughout the week. Um, He'll speak over lunch, right, with someone as you minister and love on them, or you're the one being ministered or loved on as we gather in gospel communities throughout the week, that, that we love Sunday mornings, um, and, but we don't want to believe that this is the apex, that this is the only time that God is working or moving or speaking, that He is doing that throughout the week, and so we want to come and we want to celebrate that. In no way do we want to presume upon God's grace, um, that He owes us anything this morning, and yet He loves to meet with His people. I mean, His Spirit will, will move and minister to us um, through His Word this morning. And the reason that we save a bulk of our worship for post-sermon is because we want to worship and respond to our, our living King um, based on what He has shown us and revealed to us and taught us in His Word this morning. We want to then be able to respond to Him in that and not have to wait until later. So if you haven't been with us, um, we, we're in Luke, and we've been working our way through this book for a few weeks. We'll be here um, for several months, um, just kind of going through it chapter by chapter. We're at this point, we're in the early ministry of Jesus. He has not called all of His disciples yet, but He is beginning to minister, beginning to draw a crowd of people who are intrigued by what exactly is it that He is doing, and who is He, and is this the Messiah? And there's a lot of um, intrigue around Jesus. And last week we saw Peter's response, right? As, as they haul in this, this massive load of fish, that, that Peter's response um, as a professional fisherman is to hit his knee, right? And go, no, away from me. Away from me. Like, I'm a sinful man. Like, he realizes that this is um, the, the Lord, right? And, he, and he's still trying to figure out what that means, right? It's not necessarily a complete claim of belief, but he knows that he is sinful and that Jesus is something else. And, and so as we are in this place in Luke, we're going to pick up this morning in verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out His hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And He charged him, Tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great, great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. 
And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, He answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. And so we, we follow last week with Peter um, and, and, and a couple others following Jesus, immediately laying down their fishing nets and their boats and, and following him, to now um, Luke recounting for us, Two miracles, right? Miracles of power, miracles of authority. And remember, Luke is wanting to write just an orderly account so that we can see the story of Jesus for those who are struggling with, with fear or with doubts. And so we, we really we have to go to, to Leviticus 13 and 14 for a moment to see why this, this scene with the, the leper is such a big deal. Um, Leviticus 13 and 14, I'm going to talk a lot about skin diseases and issues. Leprosy is going to be a bit of a catch-all term here um, for, for leprosy, but also other skin issues and situations. And so Leviticus 13 and 14 just talks about how it's contagious, how it needs to be dealt with, um, how, it, how you can be cleansed from it by the, the priest if healing has come. But in the midst of it, um, we see this line. This is Leviticus 13, uh, beginning in verse 45. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. And he shall live alone, and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. So that's just a portion of Leviticus 13 and 14. But what we see is that those who have these skin diseases, leprosy included, Right, would have been social outcasts. They would have been outside of the camp. They would have been outside of community. Um, and it would have been a shameful thing. Part of it was, was not meant to, to ostracize, although it became that. It was meant right, for, for contagions not to spread. Right? We can imagine this maybe just in part a little bit the last couple of years. Right? You've never worried about coughing in a restaurant ever before. Right? And yet there's been a period when things were happening that you would cough and you could feel all the eyes move to you. Right? You would wipe your kid's nose and people are like... I mean, like they're walking... Like they would walk away going, what an irresponsible mother bringing a snotty two-year-old out, right? Like, and, and people were just kind of freaking out. And, and you could feel a sense of shame that you had never felt before and going, hey, I, I don't have it. I don't have it. People are like, well, you coughed, right? Like, and, and people didn't know how to handle the situation. And here, there's actually a, um, a guide that they had to stay a, a certain number of steps away, that they had to let you know they had to dress in a manner that as you saw them, that they were identifying themselves as someone who was contagious and a leper. They would have to call out, right? That this, you can imagine the, the loneliness, the shame, the fear of being an outcast in society. 
And so the boldness of this man, right? The, the emotional tension that as he approaches Jesus, right? He's hearing these stories. He's wondering what's going on. He is already breaking with custom and expectation as he comes on Jesus. And you can imagine others watching going, what is this guy doing? Like, this isn't okay. And he comes to Jesus and listen to what he says. If you will, you can make me clean. He doesn't ask it, are you able? He says, if you will, you can make me clean. And I love that Jesus here is just willing. And we'll see that Jesus is able to speak and, and perform miracles. That he, he does miracles when He's not even physically present in the moment, right? But here, when He did not have to touch this man, He touches him. Right? Like we, we can be reminded this morning of the power of touch. Right? That if, if you're lonely, right, a hand on your shoulder, a hug, is huge. Right? It, it can be cathartic. It, it, it allows people not to feel alone. It allows them to feel compassion. It can give courage, right? You can see a parent who has had a conversation and all their kid needs is just a slight nudge, right? That little bit of a touch just kind of fills them with the boldness and the courage to jump off the diving board or to do something they weren't sure that they could do. I, 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 I can vividly remember the first time Carmen took my hand when we were dating. Um, I, I, I remember it vividly. Right? There's, just, there's something about touch. And here Jesus, who could have simply spoken and said, be clean, reaches out and touches this man who, know, who we don't know how long it had been since someone had physically touched him. Right? The compassion here, not just a willingness, but a compassion. And what we see is that He reverses the curse. Where, where we would expect that someone who has a contagious skin disease would then be unclean, would then have the disease, would, right, would have to go into the same protocol. It's not that He receives the curse. It's not that He receives the disease. It's not that He becomes contagious. It's that in Him, this man becomes clean and whole and healed. And what we are seeing take place is the hope of creation. Right? When Romans says that creation itself groans longing for the day, right? Remembering what it was like when creation was perfect and harmonious and sin and death and disease and turmoil had not entered the world yet. It's longing for that reversal. And here Jesus begins to show, I'm the one that's going to reverse it. It's happening. The Messiah is here. And when I touch, things don't go as you expect because I'm making things right. I'm bringing healing and restoration. And He tells the man, all right, Hey, don't tell anyone. Go, show yourself to the priest, make an offering for your cleansing. Leviticus 13 and 14 will also talk about the process of not just being healed, but you have to be cleansed after this. And it's an eight-day process with sacrifices and prayers, right? And, and so he says you have to go through that so that you can re-enter society here. Go through the process that we've given you. Mark 1, who, um, which is recounting the same story, says the guy doesn't listen to Jesus, right? He goes and immediately starts talking about it. Immediately. And we see the, the impact of that here in Luke. But even now, more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Right? That as the man talked, that others would begin to come and say, oh, that maybe there's, there's hope for me. There's hope for me. 
And so we then see immediately a second story. Right? And now Jesus is sitting in a home, and He's in this home. He's seated, he's seated and He's teaching, and He's teaching amongst other teachers. The Pharisees were kind of a, a lay class of religious leaders um, who were zealous about the law. Right? They wanted to keep the law perfectly to the point that they would make the law say more than it was, the religious law say more than it actually said. So it's like, if I can keep this law, then I'm, I'm further from breaking the law that we actually have. And they gave themselves like a buffer, right? And so they're strict about the law. And here we have right, this, this scene that you can just imagine the tension. You've got the religious leaders sitting there in this home. They're hearing about Jesus, and you can imagine they're going, who are you? What are you going to say? Like, Are you going to fulfill the law? Are you going to speak? Are we going to have something to, to, to throw rocks at you about? Like, what's, what's going on here? And as he's sitting there, the crowds are crowded around. Like You'd imagine them looking in windows and doors, and they're outside wanting to see what's Jesus going to do today. And these men are bringing their paralyzed friend, right? Carrying him on a mat, bringing him, and, and they're hopeful and anxious, right? You can imagine being, whether it's at a, an amusement park or a concert or a sporting event, and you're hoping to get to meet someone, and then you get there in the crowd, like you think you're early and the crowd's just already massive, and that kind of hope dissipates. Then they get there and they're like, maybe one of us could squeeze in there, but there's four of us and we're carrying a body. Like we can't get in. And yet, homes in this day and age would have had flat roofs with an exterior stairwell. And so they go up on the roof and they have their, like they've laid their friend to the side and they start like tearing through the roof, right? Like this kind of like thatched, tile style roof. And in this moment, right, as they're doing this, you can imagine shame and embarrassment for the, the paralyzed friend who's going, Is this a good idea? Like, y'all can run. I can't. Like, if people get mad, you're going to leave me here. And as Jesus is teaching, right, like, this flat roof here, if debris starts, like, kind of falling, it's not like you just all of a sudden have a hole. Like, people, they hear it, right? They hear the noise, and they feel the debris, and they, they see this going on. And so you can imagine the disgust with people going, like, you're interrupting His work. He's here to teach, and we're here to see something incredible and you're doing the wrong thing. You're interrupting Him. And so it's almost like being in a public place and beginning to see something happen that shouldn't happen. And you're trying really hard not to look, right? But it's just kind of like a car wreck, and you're just like, ah, I have to... Like, what is He going to do? What's He going to do? Um, I've, unfortunately, I've been in a lot of situations in public where things just kind of go weird. Um, and... So Carmen and I, I made her nervous just then with saying her name, right? Because she's thinking, which, which story is about to be told? We went um, to a matinee one time in Amarillo. And middle of the day, we're watching a movie. And it's because it's like a Thursday, we'd, we'd been to a funeral. We're now we're at a movie. We're the only ones in the theater. And right as the credits are about to start, another single individual walks in and sits down right next to me. I mean, I'm talking like, it's an empty theater. And so like, you're already breaking protocol. Like, there's just some unwritten rules about how you handle yourself in public, and you only sit next to someone in a movie if there's no other seat. And so he sits down next to me, and which already kind of just has me on guard, 
And the previews come on, and all of a sudden I look over and his shirt is up under his chin. And he's massaging his stomach. And I don't want to look. But I've never been in this situation before. And so I'm like, what do I do? And so I, I kind of, Carmen. Carmen. Nice. And he's just oblivious, right? And so now I'm like, okay, am I being set up? Like, is, is this a joke? He seems really content. Um, like, do I get up and make a scene? Do I sit here? I can't enjoy the movie anymore. Like, this is really uncomfortable. And eventually, um, Carmen offers me some popcorn. And he goes, I'll have some. And leans to grab the popcorn, at which point I pick up the popcorn and stand up, and I'm like, we're sitting somewhere else. And, you know, I go up several rows so that I can have him in front of me, not behind me, right? So I can know. And he kept his shirt up the whole movie, and I don't, it's super bizarre, right? Like, the reason I tell that story, as uncomfortable as some of you are looking at me right now, um, is because of that. It's uncomfortable, right? And so whether you've been in a, a scene at a holiday where someone says the wrong thing, and you're like, oh, you went there? This is going to be a bad Thanksgiving, right? Or whether you've been in a restaurant where someone's having an argument at the table next to you, and you're like, I can't enjoy my chips and queso anymore because like, I don't know where this is going. Like, that we've been in these situations where the wrong cultural norm is not being, like, is the, the wrong thing is happening. The norm is not being met. And so we imagine Jesus here, He's teaching, and the roof is caving in on Him. And like it's not an immediate thing because you're, they need a hole big enough to put a body through. And so at some point, you can imagine they're looking and they're like, the guy's digging and he's like trying not to make eye contact. Like, like I can't put him down vertical, all right? Like, I've got to, we've got to get more space. And they lower the gentleman down. The guy that's laying there who can't run. What, what a mix of probably hopefulness and anticipation and sheer terror. Embarrassment. Of like, well, here we go. Like, there's, what else am I going to do? Like, I'm dependent upon the four guys on the roof, and here I am in front of a crowd of religious leaders and a crowd of people who feel like we're interrupting and Jesus, right? And in this scene, you can imagine the tension and the awkwardness, and people are like, What's he going to do? Like, is he going to heal him? Is he going to be angry? Like, what's going to happen here? When he saw their faith, verse 20, he said, Men, your sins are forgiven you. And you, people are like, Oh, well, that's not how I thought, saw this going. He can't walk. Like, you've healed people, you've cast out demons. He's laying there in front of you, and you can imagine this gentleman thinking, ah, that's not what I came for. My sins are forgiven. Like, I want to walk. Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins 
but God alone. What Jesus is making here is a claim of divinity. He's not saying, I'm going to forgive you on behalf of God. He's saying, I forgive you. It's a claim of divinity. Listen to Exodus 34. This is verse 6 and 7. The Lord, right, this is in Mount Sinai. The Lord passed before him, meaning Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Right? But who will by no means clear the guilty. So he's saying, like, it's God who forgives. It's God who forgives. We see this in Psalm 103.3 as well. Micah 7.18. Isaiah 45.25. That God is the one who forgives sins. And so the, the religious leaders would have heard him saying, I'm God. He's making a claim of divinity here. And they thought he was blasphemous. Right? Leviticus 24.16 will tell us that blasphemy is punishable by death. Blasphemy would be making an intentional right, slight against God, speaking ill, trying to rob glory, um, defiling the name and the character of God. And they believe what, what Jesus is doing is He's taking the glory from God and saying that He's God. And they're horrified by this. They're horrified. Like, what? what? And so you can, they're going, who can forgive sins but God alone? Look at 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, He answered them, why do you question your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? And in that moment, which is easier? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. I don't have to prove that. I don't, there's no way to show that. And he says, but so that you know that his sins are forgiven, that I do have the power to do that, get up and walk. And the guy gets up, picks up his mat, and goes home praising God. We, what we're going to see in the message and in the work of Jesus and His miracles are the miracles are always meant to substantiate the teaching. He's not there to put on a dog and pony show. He's not there just to, to, to put on another sign and another miracle so that you can go, ooh, right? It's not like a 4th of July show where you're like, bigger, more, faster, greater. Well, you did that one already, do another one. Like, we saw the, the nation of Israel, right, walk through the wilderness in Exodus. And God would provide water and provide food and provide meat and provide protection. And they're like, but what have you done for me today? That when God has been faithful in our own lives, and we look back at past faithfulness, we're like, yeah, but will you do it today? Right? That we have that same heart of going, prove it again. Prove it again. And what Jesus is doing here is He says, listen, I'm going to do tremendous miracles but they're going to substantiate what I've said, and I want you to know that I can forgive sins. And how are you going to believe that? I'll do the thing that you believe is harder. And I'm going to tell a paralyzed man to get up and walk. Get up and walk. And he gets up, and he walks. Church, for us this morning, salvation which you can't see, right? You can't lay your hands on it. It feels invisible. How is it that we believe that Jesus is capable of saving us, of taking us from our sin and our death and our disease as to be adopted sons and daughters of the King, right? And it's because He does work like this. Because when He went to the cross, He didn't stay on the cross. Because when He went into the tomb, He didn't stay in the tomb. He appeared to witnesses and He ascended to heaven where He will remain until He splits the sky and returns for us, His bride, 
the church. So here's where I want us to kind of to wrap this passage up this morning is this. The question is, who is this man? Like we're just five chapters into Luke. And the question that Luke wants us and Theophilus to ask is, who is this man? Who could do this? Right? It's verse 24. That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus here is saying, I'm not just a teacher. You'll hear people make that argument. Oh, I know he lived. He was a good man, moral teacher. Jesus is making a claim of divinity here. I forgive sins because I'm God. The audience perceived it and would have heard it that way. That is the claim that he is making. And now think about some of the verses we've already looked at in Luke so far. This is chapter 1, verse 77. That he is coming, right? This is Zechariah's prophecy. To give knowledge of salvation to his people, the forgiveness of their sins. Why? Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus is fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy here that he's bringing knowledge and forgiveness and taking those out of death and into life. We also saw in Luke 2, verse 35, this, when Simeon was talking, and, and he says this, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many. Look at verse 35. A sword, he's talking to Mary, will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. We're seeing this already come to mind, that Jesus knew their thoughts. He's dividing and showing them, hey, they have fear and concern and doubts, and they think He's blaspheming, blaspheming, right? But He is dividing and showing hearts already. And then verse 18 of chapter 4, when He is speaking in Nazareth and reading from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus already is doing that. He's exposing the thoughts and intents and the, 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 the motives of people. He's bringing hope and peace and freedom. And He's saying that the forgiveness of sin accompanies it. Already in Luke 5, we see these things being fulfilled. So He is raising the question, who is this man? And Luke is going to continue for Theophilus' sake and for our sake to answer. And he's inviting us to wrestle with, do we believe the claims of divinity, not just made about Jesus, but that He made Himself? The second thing is this, is that Jesus is both holy and approachable. Think about Peter's response last week. He sees Jesus show just a little bit and he immediately falls to his knees and is like, go away, you're, you're holy and I'm a sinner. It's an appropriate response because Jesus is holy and God is other and different than us. And yet, this cursed, living, dead leper who was ashamed and an outcast approached him and received grace and mercy. Church, this morning, both of those things are true. Jesus is holy He's holy, and he is, we are sinners who should fall at our knees and ask Him to depart from us, and yet we can approach Him asking for grace. That leper came in the worst possible state and received mercy and grace. 
we do not clean ourselves up before we come to Jesus. We are unable to do that. We come before Him as we are because He gives us grace and mercy. He, he brings the hope, the peace, the healing, the reconciliation, not us. He is willing. He is able. He cares. He is approachable. And you will find grace when you approach Jesus. This morning, you may not be a leper, but you can bring whatever shame is on your heart, on your mind, that people know, that no one knows. You can bring it before Him. And if you believe that you live as an outcast, He's saying you will find grace in Me. That He would open our eyes this morning to see the depth of our sin, but to believe that the kindness of God, as Romans 2 says, is what leads us to repentance. The kindness of God does this. It is beautiful and His grace far outruns your sin. Do not be so arrogant this morning to believe that your sin somehow puts you so far at odds with God that Jesus can't do anything about it. You are at odds with God, and His grace outruns your sin. So come to Him as the humble leper, spiritual leper, asking for mercy and peace and grace, and know that you will find an approachable, merciful God. And the final one is this. The lepers were called the living dead. They walked, right? Outcast, ashamed. Listen to what Paul says. This is Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked. You followed the course of this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We carried out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were the walking dead. We are, apart from Jesus, the walking dead. Dead in our sins. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We, by grace, You have been saved. Right, We see this physical manifestation and then we see the spiritual teaching that Jesus heals lepers so that we believe that He forgives sins. That the thing that is most wrong with us can be corrected and healed and restored. And that whatever has shamed us can be cleansed and made right. Listen, He can fix and heal the biggest need in your life this morning, whether that is physical healing, whether that is relationships, whether that's a new job, whether that's money, whether that's security, whatever it is, He can take care of it. And if we don't get forgiveness, we haven't won. Our biggest need is our need to be right with God, to be at peace with God. We have a bigger need. And listen, we see the grace of Jesus that meets both. He meets our needs in this life, and He gives us the thing that is eternal and everlasting. He gives us forgiveness and peace with Him. We get it both now and eternal. But would we not forget we have a need to be cleansed? That we are the walking dead apart from Jesus. And one final passage this morning. 2 Corinthians 5. Would you hold on to this? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away the new has come. Right? So your shame, your guilt, the sin, the, the, the war that you have with God, 
the outcast that you feel like you are, in Christ is healed, it's restored, it's wiped away, right? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, not because of your efforts or your merit or your ability, but because of Jesus. His life, His death, His resurrection. All of this, verse 18, is from God, who through Christ reconciled, made right, us to Himself, and He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Then in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Our guilt, our shame, right? our brokenness, we get His righteousness in exchange for it because of God's grace and mercy, because of His good character and His faithfulness, and because of Jesus. And then we live in light of it. And so it means we lay hands on those that the world would call outcasts. It means that we see them and call them in, because we once were outcasts who have been brought into the family of God and been named sons and daughters. We reflect the image and the glory of God by seeing those who are not seen, hearing those who are not listened to, touching those who are not touched, going to those who are ignored and left out. Because Jesus has pursued us in this way and given us hope that we have gone from outcast to family. Church, this is good news. It's good news because the work's been done and we can come and partake of it. And we can draw others and call others as Peter was asked to earlier in chapter 5 to call others to it as well. So let's ask the question, who is this man? And if you know this morning that He is your rescuer and your Savior, would you sing and respond to your King this morning? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your faithfulness to us. Thank You that this morning, as as broken or as, as ashamed or as dirty as we might feel, the things that we feel like that are ever before us and that others must be able to see them, Lord, as that feels like it marks us and, and, and we identify with the leper, God, would we trust and believe that Your grace outruns it, that You bring hope and cleansing and restoration and healing, and we can all get in on this. God, so would we trust that Your kindness is leading us to repentance this morning? For those of us who have tasted and seen that You're good, would we not then try to walk in our own merits? And would we be quick to point others to this fountain of hope, to good news, that they can be too adopted sons and daughters of the King? Father, would we honor and worship You, beautiful Jesus, this morning for the good news You've brought to us and that we are recipients of. In Jesus' name, Amen.